Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs. I am your host, Christy Haberman. I am glad you're here. Thanks for being a part of our community. A few disclaimers before we get started. I am a licensed therapist. However, this podcast is not to be considered mental health therapy or counseling. It is for entertainment purposes only and is not associated with my counseling practice, Christy Haberman Counseling Services. Thanks for showing up. Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs, episode 15. I'm a little bit late in getting this posted. I was on vacation with my living son and his family. It was the first family vacation that we've had since Christopher died. And as many of you experience, you're always waiting for that missing person to show up. And I just kept wondering throughout the trip, you know, if he had been there, what would his family have been like? What would his kids have been like? Uh, just what would it have been like? There was a couple of times where we we're all together and a butterfly flew by. I took that as a sign that Christopher was still there with us. Interestingly enough, um, the lights kept going in and out at the B&B that we were in. That's also one of my signs from Christopher. So he was there with spirit. So I apologize for not getting this out in time. I did pre-record an episode, but it was just a little too real. <laughs> I know I want to be real about grief, but this one was a little too real, so I unpublished it. I had some second thoughts. So today I wanted to talk about secondary losses. And I am trained as a counselor. And in my graduate program, you know, we talked about the five stages of grief, which actually, it really frustrates me when I see people posting about this. And I may do a whole episode about it. So Elizabeth Keebler Ross did her research on the five stages of grief on people who were dying. It was never meant to be used for people that are grieving. And when I see it being misused that way, I just get very, very frustrated. And towards the end of her days, she started to express some concerns about how her stages of grief were being utilized. Because the research was done on people who were dying. Us grieving people, we're not dying. We've experienced the death of someone. So just keep that in mind when you're reading some of that information out there or when you talk to someone and you're trying to pick a counselor and they say they understand the stages of grief, just run the other way. Because if they understood grief, they would understand that there are no stages. We have a lot of different emotions. We have anger. We have um, frustration. We have sadness. And there's a little, it's not really understood that the loss of a child is for a lifetime. And that's what I wanted to talk about with our secondary losses. So I see secondary losses happening in many ways. So the first one was family. There were secondary losses surrounding family. Secondary losses surrounding friends. Secondary losses surrounding my health. 
secondary losses surrounding who I am in the world, you know, that loss of self. Um, there's some characteristics of my personality that just don't exist anymore. And so I'm going to tackle each one of those in a separate podcast. So today I want to talk about the secondary loss of family. And this one is a particularly different, difficult topic for me to talk about. So when I was growing up, my mom moved around a lot. So she had a conflicted relationship with her own mother, which resulted in a conflicted re relationship between her and her daughters. And it was a generational generational pattern because then my grandmother didn't get along with that grandmother it was just it's one of those patterns that I'm trying to break as I get older so if I don't have a daughter I have I had sons and we just weren't close to anyone except for my aunt Kathy and my aunt Kathy had three daughters and at one point in our relation well in our childhood they came to live with us and so there were six of us instead of just the three of us for us three for me my brother and my sister um we looked upon that time as you know it was really enjoyable we had lots of company we always had something to do uh, it was a fun time for us um I don't know that it was such a fun time for my cousins because their mom went to college and then left them with us. So I'm sure there was feelings of abandonment um, being in this strange place. But anyway, because they had lived with us, and I think it was about two years, three years, um, I'm still not real sure. But there was, for lack of a better word, a breakup between my mom and my aunt Kathy and you know, the girls just disappeared out of my life. But I always had like this really, what I believed a close relationship with them. So I married a military man. And when I came back to South Dakota, where I live, I tried to, you know, stay in contact with my cousins. I would call my cousins. In hindsight, I realized that their feelings weren't reciprocal. But I didn't realize that till after Christopher died. So I moved back to South Dakota and I still didn't have a lot of contact with my cousin who actually lived only four or five blocks away. But I just chalked it up to us being busy, still not understanding that the relationship was not what it was. And then Christopher dies. You know, when, when Christopher died, yeah, support comes around. Like everybody just flocks to you for that period of time between notification of the death and the funeral. And then after the funeral, you know, people just kind of disappear. And you're left alone. And I was stuck so far into my grief that I didn't really understand. 
that I'd been abandoned by, by my family. And especially this one cousin of mine. One cousin didn't even show up. The other two did. So the one that lives in the same town as me. So I don't know if the rest of you have experienced this, but six months, six to nine months after Christopher died, I was in a deep, deep depression, deep depression. And my husband and I go to garage sales every Saturday during the summer. So if it was during the summer, it had to have been a year after. But anyway, I still in my deep, deep depression. I wore the same clothes all weekend. <laughs> I didn't shower, didn't brush my teeth. I was in deep. And I went garage selling with my husband. And I would just stay in the car. And I went to this one garage sale and I see my cousin. So I got out of the car and I went to talk to her. And I'm calling her name and she's running away from me. Just running. You know, when I was so depressed and so sad that she wouldn't even talk to me, wouldn't even look at me. That she just, she just left. And I carry a lot of anger and resentment towards her, I will have to admit. Because we lived in the same town. Now, keep in mind, I can see her house from where I live. She is less than three or four blocks away. And nothing. But I was too depressed at the time to really process that out. And I know that's weird because, like when I think back about there's defining moments in my grief story that was a defining moment for me because she literally guys ran away from me and I wish that she had taken the time no matter what she thought no matter how I looked because maybe then I wouldn't have been so depressed. You know, but she didn't. She went on running. I was really sad. That's when I started to notice. You know, it had been about a year again. And my brother called me. And he was having a difficult time at work. And I'm a counselor. You know, now I don't like to meet new people because I feel like I get used for counseling. And I think all of that came about because of what happened after Christopher died. So my brother calls me and is telling me about this um, problem at work. But he doesn't ask me about how I'm doing about Christopher dying he doesn't talk to me about that at all. Just all about him and these problems that he was having at work. And You know, I haven't heard from my brother since. He came through South Dakota, I think, two years ago. 
two years ago um, on vacation. And he was in a town 30 miles away and we had made plans to meet. And they thought that the 30 miles was too far to drive. And so they didn't come. And I just threw a holy fit. Because I was just like, then I'm not coming. My dad was kind of mad at me. And I'm like, <laughs> I have to stand and protect myself. And if you can't make that trip 30 miles to see me after two years. And then again, you know, so they came, they came the 30 miles. But then again, there's no talk about Christmas. It's like he just didn't exist. And you can't be in my life unless you're willing to talk about that. Unless you're willing to talk about my grief. It's just, that is non-negotiable for me. And I feel bad for my husband because then we were like, okay, so Christopher's death day, which is um, June 19th, which is coming up here this next Sunday, is going to be tough. So one year we decided we are going to be out of town on the 19th of June. Maybe that will help. Maybe that will make the grief not so hard. So we go to Roger's side of the family. So it's on the 19th. We're in the car with Roger's family, my husband's family and myself. And one of Christopher's posts, something really sad about how much she missed him on Facebook. And me and Roger started talking about how much we were missing Christopher. And they were silence from them people. Absolute silence. No, we're sorry to hear you guys are struggling. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. No comment whatsoever. And I remember me and my husband looking at each other going, is it really that hard? Is it really that hard to talk about someone that's dead? Because he mattered. He mattered to us. And then you start to realize how many things you're not getting invited to. I have a well, I was going to talk about it when I do the Christmas episode, but there was a situation right after Christopher died on the holidays where we weren't invited. We spend most Christmas, Thanksgiving alone. Our son, we switch off holidays with the in-laws. So when it's our holiday, we have him, but that's it. No other extended family. And my cousins, you know, I don't communicate with them. It's just been really weird. Really, really weird. So I, a cousin that doesn't live in my town, I'm trying to protect their confidentiality. I don't want to bust them out on a podcast. So the cousin that didn't live in town that came to the funeral, her husband died. And I really wanted to be there for her because I knew how much it mattered. Because it mattered to me who showed up. So I showed up to her, um, to the funeral. 
she was surprised to see me. She was like, oh, what are you doing here? I'm like, your husband died. <laughs> I'm your cousin. Why would I not be here? I wanted to support you. And that was the reaction of all the cousins. Well, what are you doing here? Um, I guess, I don't know. What am I doing here? <laughs> I was like, huh. That's kind of a strange reaction. And then my sister shows up. They're like, oh, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, your husband died? <laughs> like at the funeral? We would think that you want your family around. Not the case. So then they were like talking about how they were going to do family pictures after. And this is another defining moment with the whole grief thing. So I thought, I, their family, we're family, we're family. And nope, we weren't. We were not included in that. And my sister just said, you know, I'm done, Christy. I'm just done. I'm done with the cousins. I'm done with trying to have a relationship. I'm just done. And I understood that sentiment. And so I left. And then I posted pictures from my, on Facebook and uh, from the funeral. And oh, what a, you know, storm that caused. And I haven't spoken to them people since. I just haven't. I've written them off. They're just not a part of it. I mean, they're part of the loss that happened after Christopher's death. But I got to ask myself. I got to ask myself. So, I don't know if the rest of you experience this, but after someone dies, you are alone a lot of the time. And you have nothing to do but think. And you send a lot spend a lot of time in self-reflection. I spent a lot of time in journaling. I spent a lot of time in meditating. I spent a lot of time in really delving into my spiritual side. Um, doing study in life after death. Uh, very much into the spiritual side of life. Almost too much so because like... I was so focused on that that I wasn't focused on living. And so I had to like back off from that. But I was very much focused into that. And so, and I don't know when I came to this realization, if it was after all of that work or if it was after my EMDR. Or maybe after I started this podcast that I started realizing it. Because in speaking to you guys, I'm finding that I'm getting insights about this grief process that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So I'm grateful to all of you for listening. I have listeners. I hear that. So what I realized, my relationship with my family did not change. my belief system changed. So like the grief took and stripped my blinders off and exposed all my blind spots. And my belief system just crumbled. Just poof, 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 poof. <laughs> You know, I had lived with these illusions 
of who these people were. And there were illusions that I created in my own mind. You know, it was after the EMDR because I was seeing a therapist. And I will tell you, every therapist needs a therapist. You do not learn to do counseling or therapy without going to therapy. So I'm very upfront about the fact that I've gone to counseling all of these years. I, it's just a necessary part of life. And when you come from a background of trauma, 100%. Christopher was a traumatic experience. So I went back to therapy. So my therapist explained it to me this way. What she said was, when you come from trauma and you don't, you don't have an attachment to a primary um, parental figure, then you create those and you create those in your head. So what I have done over the years is that I have created these illusions of people, not reality, but these illusions of people. And when Christopher died, they all crashed. Poof. Crash, bam, bloom. <laughs> and all of a sudden, these people were who they were. And I was different. Do I wish that I could have kept the blinders? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I wish that I would have kept the blinders because they weren't fulfilling relationships. So even when I had the blinders on, it was always me trying, always me trying, always me trying. There was no reciprocation. So now it's been 2018, 19, 20. It's been four years since I've had contact with any of them. And I, I won't have contact with them again. I, I, have to, I have to protect myself. And I don't know about the rest of you, but I don't want fake relationships either. I don't want relationships like that. So I would encourage you when you're looking at your family and your friends around you, so how do you cope with that? The biggest thing that I can tell you is to really take a look at before the death of your child or the death of whoever that you are experiencing. Did you see those people for who they were? Or did you do like I and excuse some of their behavior? Blaming it on time, blaming it on, we just had, don't have enough time to get there. And then there are the people, though, that just nope right out of your life because they can't stand that you're grieving. And they're just gone. I had those people, too. I had a really good friend. We'd been friends since 1997. So 1997 to 2011. I don't do fast math. <laughs> I can't do that in my head, but it was a long time. I had never heard from her again after Christopher died. Ever. She was important to me. But again, was that just a relationship I imagined? 
and I have contact with people that I used to be friends with. And I don't have the patience anymore because a lot of those relationships I realized are not reciprocal relationships. So I encourage you to take a look at those, like take a look at those relationships hard. And I would journal. I would journal about those relationships. So you want to journal a page and a half when you, um, page and a half is about when you bypass the logical mind and go into the emotional. And that's where you want to be. You want to be into the emotional part and just keep journaling and writing about it. And you'll be surprised at the insights that come to you. And you may start to realize that it's not the people that change, but you. And if it was you, that's okay. That is okay. Because if they can't handle the new you, maybe you don't want them in your life anyway. Maybe you just want to be alone. And I don't know about you guys, but I call it bandwidth. Kind of like I'm the internet. But I don't have the bandwidth to maintain a lot of relationships these days. I just don't. I'm like half a person. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever going to change. But it is what it is. So coping with it. Allow yourself to be sad. Allow yourself to mourn those relationships. But also understand if they did not survive the grief, they're not the best for you. And mama, you lost a child and you deserve the best. You deserve the best friendships. You deserve the best of everything. And there will be new friends. I promise you there will be new friends. There'll be friends that understand you. There'll be friends that are more empathic. The friends that I have met after Christopher died know me differently than the ones that before. I'm just not into superficial relationships. And that's also something you need to take a look at too is are you engaging before the death of your child in superficial relationships? And superficial relationships are based on the weather, what's going on at school, no personal information. And so when superficial re relationships encounter a traumatic event like this, the people can't, they just can't engage in it. I remember there was a girl from high school that I was having a difficult time and she told me that she would drive me around town so I didn't have to be crying at school and I tried talking to her about it. She didn't want to hear it. She just wanted to drive me around town. That's a superficial relationship. There are some people that just can't go deep with you. And if the people that you are losing are the people that can't go deep with you, then is it really a loss? Because right now you need people that will go deep with you. That's what you need. You don't need superficial. The superficial got stripped away. And maybe that's part of it too, because 
once you lose a child, nothing else matters. What school I went to, what car I drove, what I look like today, what my hair looks like, my nails, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is loving. Loving my husband, loving my living son. I love my friends. I have friends that I love dearly. That stuck through thick and thin with me. And that was during a time that I was not a good friend. And that's another thing you got to kind of look at. Are you capable of being a good friend right now? And if you're not, that's okay. And if someone can't hang with you through those difficult moments and allow you to take a break and say, you know what, you're right. Right now you can't be a good friend, but I care about you enough that I will wait till you can be. Then you probably didn't need them either. Where I work, they're talking about kids that don't have friends. And I say all of the time, in order to be a friend, you have to, in order to have friends, you have to be a friend. And maybe that's the case too. Maybe you're not capable of being a friend right now, but that's okay too. Like there's no right or wrong. The most important thing is that you're comfortable with yourself. That there's no judgment of yourself during this process. That you just understand and know that it's okay. No matter what goes down, what goes around, it's okay. So it's okay to be who you are. We got to quit judging ourselves because our friends left us. That's critically important. It's not your fault. It's not your fault they couldn't hang with you. It's not your fault that they were superficial. None of those things are your fault. And you need to remember that also. To finish up our episode today, I'd like to conclude by talking about, it appears in this episode, I started to combine family with friends. But the most important thing when you're dealing with secondary loss is to be gentle and kind to yourself. We tend to judge ourselves when someone doesn't return our calls when we don't get invited places. And I say to myself all of the time, and I encourage you to say the same thing. It's not about you. The way that other people behave is about them, about their inability to cope, their inability to deal with the loss of your child. It is not, it is not your fault. So I want to go over some coping mechanisms before we shut down this episode. So I encourage you to start journaling. And start journaling when these things happen and evaluating these relationships. Was this a superficial relationship? Does this person have the ability to go deeper with you? Find a good friend to talk to. And I always encourage counseling 
but go to a therapist that has lost a child, lost a loved one, that has some understanding of what you might be going through. I just saw someone actually sending a an EMDR site that I'm a part of. And she was frustrated because she didn't see her client progressing who had lost her mother to suicide. Because the daughter was saying she would have, could have, should have done something. How many of us have been living with that? I could have, would have done something. Judgment of self. For me, it's been years. I know for a lot of you, it's for years. We wish we could have done something different. And that's just a natural part of grief. And this therapist is trying to treat it as if somehow that's an irrational belief. Well, it is an irrational belief, but it's part of how our brain copes. And there's nothing we can do about that. So she'd be better off finding someone that would be accepting of that belief and helping her gradually work through it instead of trying to, i.e., treat it. I don't know how you would logically treat that. She just needs to be listened to, told that it's okay. Because eventually over time, I mean, I'm slowly getting there that I couldn't have done anything. doesn't mean that I didn't want to change something. just means that I'm starting to accept that I can, but I'm 10 years out. So I apologize for this episode being so late. Like I said before, I had recorded one, but it was a little too raw. I'll take the good parts out, take the two raw parts out. Um, This Sunday is the 19th. It's actually Christopher's um, death day. So I think I'm going to do my recording on uh, Monday instead. So I'll see you on Monday where we'll talk about... um, different secondary loss. Have a great week, and thank you for listening to Grieving Insomniacs, and I am Christy Haberman. You have a great week.